Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Tuesday, January 28th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. We have a lot of consumer goods industry news to cover over the past week, and joining me today to talk about them is Dan Klein. Dan, thanks for joining. Oh, thanks for having me. There's a lot to cover, and we're going to get to some interesting bankruptcies and some changes that we're seeing in the way that companies maybe manage their assets. But first, we have to start with the big story, or at least what I (laughs) perceive to be as the big story. And that's McDonald's rolling out a chicken breakfast biscuit across the nation. Well, I'm doing this episode dressed as Grimace, so I'm in a big purple suit, uh, (laughs) as far as anybody knows. No. So, there is a chicken sandwich war going on, and McDonald's is firing sort of the latest salvo. And this is a little bit odd to me, though I do live in the South where the chicken biscuit, like you, if you go to Bojangles, you can get a chicken biscuit for breakfast, and fried chicken as a breakfast food is considered normal. As someone who's from the Northeast, that, that is a, a bit of a culture shock for me. And what McDonald's is doing is nationwide, they're going to roll out a chicken breakfast biscuit and a chicken breakfast McGriddle. And this is all about having an answer for Chick-fil-A and really giving consumers sort of more options and saying, hey, you know what? If you come to McDonald's at uh, 1030 in the morning, you you have this option now so you don't have to go to Chick-fil-A just to get a chicken breakfast sandwich. For what it's worth, I don't think anybody was being forced to go to Chick-fil-A for their breakfast sandwiches. But I do think it's a, a move in the, the right direction. Uh, the McDonald's franchisees themselves have been long pushing for a competitive chicken sandwich. But I guess the question I have for you, Dan, is you know, do you see this as being, I guess, a fad? Because I remember three years ago, I was covering Cracker Barrel, which yeah, it's not been the best company, up and down a little bit, largely trading flat. But Cracker Barrel at the time was rolling out this new initiative they called Holler and Dash, which was a fried chicken and biscuit fast casual chain. And, and you know, it really, I feel like they were ahead of the curve there, but it really hasn't moved the needle for them at all. So, is this a fad? Is it going away or is it staying? Well, here's the thing. A chicken breakfast sandwich or a chicken anytime sandwich is a tool in your arsenal. And one of the things McDonald's has going for it is if you're with, say, a group of friends or a family of five or you know people who work together, whatever it is, Chick-fil-A is very specific. It's largely a chicken company. They have more of a diverse breakfast menu. They have bacon. They have sausage. But at lunchtime, if I want a burger and you want a chicken sandwich, McDonald's is a better option than going to Chick-fil-A. And I think that's sort of where this is fitting in. This isn't Popeye's, which is a chicken company that damn well better have a good chicken sandwich or people are going to go to Chick-fil-A. McDonald's still needs a better all-day chicken option, and that's something that I think franchises will get at some point. But I'm not sure you want to build a business and be completely narrow and just focus on on just one part of the fad because it makes it too easy for people to decide, you know, yeah, hey, I really want a chicken sandwich, but so-and-so wants a, a bacon, egg, and cheese, and I guess we'll just go to McDonald's because you know the, the Cracker Barrel thing only had the one. It, you want a, as big a menu as possible that can be well executed. 
This, we talked a little bit earlier, I, I feel like the breakfast wars themselves could be an entire episode of industry-focused consumer goods. We also see IHOP coming out with a, a very soft launch for 2020 of their own kind of fast, casual breakfast food change. So, Dan, I'm going to put it on to you. There, there's a gun to your head, and you have to get breakfast tomorrow morning. Where are you going? What are you getting? Um, if I have to get a, we're going to say a fast food mm-hmm. breakfast. A fast food uh, or fast casual breakfast. So, well, fast food, it's definitely a Burger King sandwich. Their hash browns aren't as good. The sandwich <laughs> looks nothing like what the pictures of it look. It's not like a big fluffy croissant. It's a big sad thing. But it's by, by taste, probably my favorite breakfast sandwich. McDonald's actually executes the most things really well. It's an enjoyable pancake. You could get a biscuit or a or McMuffin or or a McGriddle, and they're all pretty good. I mean, if I if I could fly, I'd go to a New York deli and get a hard roll sandwich. But that is not something that's a concept here in the rest of the world. Um, honestly, a lot of these chains do breakfast well. Chick Fil A does breakfast well. Um, I think Wendy's has struggled with breakfast, but for the most part, it's not hard to get an inexpensive, pretty good breakfast sandwich. I think that was a hot take. I saw Austin kind of having a visible reaction there. I didn't even know Burger King had breakfast, honestly. Oh, come on. You've never had a croissant sandwich? No, but I think if I had to pick, I'd do the the Taco Bell breakfast steak crunch wrap. Mm. Can't top it. I'm not going to side with Austin on this one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I have found the ingredient quality at Taco Bell a little bit lacking. Um, though I will give a shout out a shout out to the Cinnabon sausage wrapped in a pancake. <laughs> that's probably like eight thousand calories for the order. Those are it's a it's not actually a pancake. It's more of a pastry. Those are really really good too. So I, I think we have a plan. We're going to go on a breakfast crawl the next time I'm in town. Yeah, I don't think I realized the breakfast universe was as vast as it was. But maybe this is a great thing for investors and consumers alike. Uh, but Yeah, moving on to some retail news, we have a lot of updates coming out of some of the major retailers here in the U.S. over the past week about store closing, namely, and I apologize, I'm going to butcher the name of this retail outlet, Papyrus? Closing Uh, all... Papyrus. Papyrus, there you go. Closing all of their stores nationwide. Um, I I feel like that's a great example of the fact that I, I couldn't even pronounce the name of their store, and I'm probably right there in their target demographic. So there's a lot of stores um, that are closing locations. You know, Macy's, JCPenney, Bed Bath and Beyond, GameStop, Express, Pier One Imports, and there's sort of a false narrative around those stores that it's it's changing consumer habits. People are buying online. They're not going to the mall. And with with most of those stores, I would argue that's not really true. That that mall traffic is down from all-time highs, but still very high, and that if a store has an omni-channel model, like a Best Buy, there's still a place for brick-and-mortar retail. Papyrus might be the one store that you could really argue has become unnecessary. They sell sort of expensive stationery and cards and things that like you might buy incrementally if you're walking by the mall, but the price tags are high enough that it feels like you, you might want to just jump on Amazon on your phone to see if something else is cheaper. So this is a store that was almost like unique to malls. Like It made sense in the setting of a mall-based universe that now makes much less sense. But the overall narrative is that 
good retailers who give consumers what they want, where they want, meaning omni-channel. So easy pickup options, look at it in the store, buy it for delivery, uh, buy it online, pick it up in the store, easy returns, all of that. Those retailers can thrive and they're not the ones that are closing stores and going out of business. I love that because I feel like that's a line that's been underappreciated by the media for the most part, who's been reporting on these store closings. And yeah, that's because these companies, to an extent, uh, have you know, made their own bed from lack of action in the past. It is probably fair to say that even the stores that have been effective in relaying an omni-channel approach will have a smaller footprint than they may have had, you know, five, ten years ago. What does that mean for REITs that look at these retail locations? Well, so some of it is use of space. Like, you might not have a smaller Kohl's. You might have less of the Kohl's location dedicated to you coming in and shopping. More of the back end might go to fulfillment. But you probably will see an overall shrinkage of retail space. The the B and C malls in many markets are going to close. Uh, and the good malls are di- diversifying and they're adding hotels, they're adding entertainment options, they're adding co-working spaces. So the smartest REIT investments are the ones that own the the A-tier malls or are invested heavily in those because there's still a reason to go shopping. There's also a whole wave of internet-first retailers that are opening stores. There are going to be more store openings this year than there were closures, most likely. But what's opening is you know you lose a JCPenney and you're getting a Casper mattress and an Untuck It. Well, those two stores have a small footprint comparatively, so it makes sense for the mall to say, okay, we have these two stores people want to visit. Let's put in a gym next to it. Let's put in a a modern food court. So really look at the quality of the mall. If you go to the mall and the food court has like a couple of local restaurants you've never heard of, and like more than 50% of the mall is dedicated to stores that sell cell phone cases and sneakers, (laughs) those malls aren't doing well. You want to look at the mall that has the really interesting mix of stuff, maybe has a couple of uh, cosmetical places. That's been a a growing category in malls. You know, go to the mall and get your fat zapped off or get your lipo, get your, uh, your Botox injection. There's about, you know, three or four of those in the mall near me. Uh, the, oh, the Florida, nice there you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, look for the mall that that built the modern movie theater and has an ice skating rink. And not all of these things have worked. Uh, you know, we might find that people don't want to deal with mall parking to go to their co-working space. Um, on the other hand, I was a member of a co-working space for about a year in an outdoor mall that it was nice. You could, a lot. there were a lot of lunch options. There were stores. I could go to the movies at three in the afternoon, it was two doors down. So look at the diversity, but really look at the health of any individual property, because there will be less physical space devoted to retail, uh, at least you know going forward. Well, in a story that's similar, another company declaring bankruptcy, uh, Bar Louie, it might not be a retail outlet, but it does have that huge footprint you're talking about. So Bar, Bar Louie is sort of like an upscale take on a TGI Fridays, like it's a it's a bar bistro, and I really want to like it. Um, so we had one when we lived in Connecticut. We had one for a few months here in West Palm Beach, and there's another one down the road in in Boynton Beach, which is about 15 minutes away. Um, and I've eaten at all of all three of those, and the menu is good. The execution wasn't, and. I, again, this is only my experience going five or six times across three three restaurants, but 
in general, they were understaffed. The TVs weren't tuned to local sports. They didn't know how to change the channel. And again, you're going to hear stories. Oh, it's competition. It's delivery. It's And those things matter. But execution is very important. So if you're thinking about investing in a restaurant, one of the smart things to do is just go eat at that restaurant, order delivery from that restaurant, see what your experience is like, see what happens if they get something wrong, how they make it up to you, how they handle it. You know, are the customer service people trained well? Order something and tell them you have an allergy that you don't have to see if they're prepared to deal with that. I, I, I don't. I generally don't eat gluten, and you'd be amazed how many places don't realize that flour is gru- has gluten, wow. or is gluten, really, or that uh, rice pilaf has pasta in it, and that's gluten. Uh, so you really want to put things through the test. And again, it's anecdotal, but if a chain isn't doing a good job training some locations, there's a pretty good chance it's not doing a good job training all its locations. I love the fact that you gave it five or six chances because that's four to five more than I would have given it under the same scenario. So so there's a story behind that. I have a 15-year-old, and, and those of you that have teenagers know you are sometimes driven by what, by what they like. Mm. Uh, and he enjoyed – they had a tater tots appetizer that had like <laughs> bacon and cheese and – it took him a long time to eat, so it was a way for me to get to watch some football or, or things I wanted to do on TV that would take him longer than if I just got him like chicken fingers somewhere. So it, it does have a good menu. Hopefully, under new ownership, coming out of Chapter 11 with, with a smaller lineup of stores, hopefully they'll be able to focus on training and making sure it's a good experience. Um, Last night, I ate at another national publicly traded chain, a a very crowded one. And this has not generally been my experience there, so I won't name them. But it was half empty, but there was a huge line because they didn't have enough people working. And maybe that was, you know, maybe it was one-time thing due to illness. Maybe that store can't find enough employees because it's in a very high-trafficked area. But they created a bad experience for every customer that was there. And when those things happen and they're not well explained or there's a big line, you know, I, I've been to restaurants where there's a big line and they come out with, with water or, or food or different things to keep you happy or they find ways to make it work. That's very important when you're looking at, inve- you know, investing in something. How do they treat their customers and how do they handle things when they're not going well? That that's a really good point because we talk about the decline of retail and I I really don't like that saying but over the past holiday season it seemed like a lot of stuff wasn't selling but experiences are and, and people are paying up for good experiences and it kind of goes back to what you're saying about the fact that some of these retailers it was a self-imposed death because they weren't changing with the times the same could be true for these nationally traded retail restaurant chains that are potentially not making it a good experience to, you know, eat at their restaurants. Yeah. And experience is about more than like, hey, I I bought a snowboarding trip. It's also a part of any shopping, you know, outing. So if I go, and I hate to pick on this store, but but (laughs) JCPenney is closing Mm. lots of locations. And so many articles blame the internet. But the reality is I wear one shirt from JCPenney. It's a a black polo in their house brand. It's $9.99. It's effectively disposable. I buy like a dozen of them every, you know, six months. And you could go to that store 
and they may not have a stock black polo in their house line, which probably has something to do with ordering quantities and how they make them. They they have to sell out, you know, half the teal before they can order new black. I don't care. If I went to the trouble of driving to the mall rather than ordering the similar but I don't like it quite as much Amazon Basics version of the same shirt or going to Kohl's and buying the last longer version of the same shirt that costs twice as much, if I have a bad experience, I have a lot of choices. I could stand in JCPenney and order from other places. And even they might say, well, just like, you know, we don't have it in stock, but you can get it on our website. But I'm here. I want it. I don't want to have to deal with getting the package. And that's something that you have to be relentlessly focused on. Good customer experience, driving sort of, even when you're out of something, okay, you don't have the sneakers in my size. I can order them online, but they'll be 20% cheaper because I made the effort of coming to the store and doing it. That's actually not how it works, but that's how it should work. Well, the last story I have for you today, Dan, is one that is a little bit of a shift, but I think it's really important for consumers to be aware of. It's a story coming out of the World Economic Forum. Uh, Maurice Levy, the chair of Publicist Group, has has kind of made national news by saying that profit is no longer the sole focus for businesses. Instead, these businesses should be focused on being a good citizen, which will in turn support investors. So, I want that to be true. Uh, obviously, that's something we believe in strongly as a company. That's important to many of us and how we make investments. The reality is, is that profit remains the most important thing, but doing the right thing is something that a lot of consumers are concerned about. So as long as you can do it cost-effectively, people are going to gravitate towards those companies as investments. The example I'll give is Starbucks. Starbucks has been at the forefront of getting rid of straws, changing its packaging, uh, being a bit conscious about how it uses water. It's made some pledges recently uh, about how it's going to be you know, you know, know, handling that going forward. And that can be used to justify its somewhat higher prices. So, yeah, profit, this, this isn't, you know, Scrooge anymore, you know, yelling at people and making them work on, on Christmas Day. But profits first, but the other factors do matter because consumers are driving that. Yeah, to be frank, I, I did roll my eyes a little bit when I saw this article, mostly because Publicist Group itself is a multinational advertising and public relations company. And it seems like a special level of irony when you have a big multinational PR company coming out and saying, yeah, we should all be focused on on helping the world. When in reality, uh, I think the way that a lot of companies view helping the world is actually by helping their brand image by doing things that, yeah, leave a good taste in consumers' mouths versus a bad one. Yeah, and I think that's okay. As consumers, we should make decisions. Okay, am I going to go to the department store chain that pays a $15 minimum wage, or am I going to go to the one that pays people eight? You know, so you can make those choices. You can. There's a lot of information about companies, uh, what they pay, their impact on the planet, how they treat employees, that you can use to factor into your decision. Now, look, sometimes are you going to go to Taco Bell, which perhaps doesn't pay the highest wages because Taco Bell is delicious? Um, yeah, you might. On the other hand, 
are you often going to go to the companies that have come out and, you know, Starbucks will let you go to college, will pay for your college. And are they doing that to be benevolent? No. They're doing that because it ties a worker to them for a period of time, which saves them money. It's good for both sides. I don't trust a business that's doing things just to be good. I prefer when there's something in it for the business. And right now, keeping workers is very difficult. So we're seeing more and more companies offer uh, to pay for college or reimbursement for, you know, for student loans and better wages. So you have a right to ask for this as a consumer. You also, as, as an employee, you know, can pick and choose where to go based on sort of, you know, what companies are doing. I actually, I laugh a little bit when you use Taco Bell as your example, because I think it was just a few weeks ago that Taco Bell announced that they were going to start raising manager salaries to $100,000 a year to presumably improve their retention. The same thing you were already mentioning. So yeah, this is yeah, more so, of a so, thing. So let, let's talk about, because I don't want to say that's a gimmick. I mean, they were already paying managers in the $80,000 range, but they are competing against Chipotle where general managers can make six figures and and the level above that can make well into the six figures. So is this Taco Bell being benevolent? No, it's them losing a bunch of managers to other <laughs> retailers. You know, the Wawa Wawa has been expanding near me in South Florida and they hire away a lot of Starbucks managers. So at some wow. point, Starbucks will probably have to pay its managers more so they don't go to Wawa or offer the same perks or whatever it is. It's all a competitive environment, and I think that's great. And as a worker, you should be looking at your options. I, I have a friend who switched from being a Starbucks low-level manager to being at first just a clerk at Wawa making more money, and now she's in a management program where she will eventually make significant money. You know, Six figures, it will take her years, but there's a lot of training and a lot of upward mobility. And as a worker, you have to manage your career like that, and that sometimes does mean moving on. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. I think, if anything, we've all learned that we should be trying to be fast food managers and eating lots of chicken sandwiches. <laughs> wow, and we th th this was a diverse episode. so no <laughs> <laughs> A real motley collection of topics and stocks. Uh, but listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass today. For Dan Klein, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.